Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Business does not exist in a vacuum. Every business is inextricably woven into the community it exists in partly because every business depends on people in the community who patronize it, but also because people who own businesses or work in businesses also live in the community. Frankly, it's taken a few generations of business people to come to this realization. Thanks to the current generation of entrepreneurs and business school graduates going into corporate America, we understand that when a society has fewer disadvantaged people in it, the greater advantage of living in it is shared by all of us. Melissa Sawyer not only came to this realization, she decided to do something about it. Although Melissa is originally Canadian and a graduate of the Harvard School of Education, Thankfully for New Orleans, Melissa landed here and co-founded an organization called the Youth Empowerment Project. YEP has around 50 employees. They work with underserved young people to provide community-based education, mentoring, and employment readiness programs that develop work skills and strengthen ties to family and community. Melissa, welcome out to lunch. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. A lot of business people travel. Each one of those business people you see on every flight and every airport all over the country are racking up air miles on frequent flyer programs. Now, if you travel a lot, you get a monthly statement from your frequent flyer program and you watch the miles add up. Every 25,000 miles or so, you get a free trip within the U.S. and with a few more miles, you can go overseas for free. Another thing you can do with your air miles is to give them away. You can give them to friends, family, employees, or you can give them to an organization called Miles for Migrants. If you're an immigrant to the United States or another country like the UK, if you've been displaced from your home by war or persecution, you can apply to your new country's government to be reunited with your family. Once you get approval for reunification, travel visas for your family are only valid for a limited time, sometimes as as little as 30 days. For people in difficult political and financial circumstances, getting enough money together in that short period of time for an international flight is impossible. And that's where Miles for Migrants steps in. In 2018, Miles for Migrants flew 417 people and united 163 families all on donated air miles. The founder of Miles for Migrants is a New Orleans optometrist, Seth Stanton. Seth, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. Now, Melissa, I think a lot of people would be surprised by the statistics that underpin your work. And here are just some of them. 39% of New Orleans children live in poverty. The national average is 22%. In New Orleans, 15% of kids between the ages of 16 and 19 are not in school and not working. The homicide rate in New Orleans is 10 times the national average. Within New Orleans, the homicide rate in Central City is four times higher than the rest of the city. I want to get to the details of the programs that you are implementing to tackle these issues. But first, is it helpful in attacking these problems to understand their causes, 
or is it better to just deal with implementing practical solutions? Well, I think you have to do both. I think we have to understand the context within which we're living and working, and that's important to help inform the decisions that we are making and the strategies that we implement in order to address some of these solutions. I think it's sometimes easy to be judgmental or to rush to decisions or make assumptions about why someone might be in the situation they are, but things are almost always a lot more complicated and people's lives are complicated, life situations are, are complicated and I think that we really need to ensure that we're we're honoring the complicated factors that that, that are lives and um, I think it is really important to understand the underlying causes. I think it also when we do that humanizes people to one another and that that's something that we just need to be better at as a world and as a nation about really trying to see the common humanity in all of us and how we all hurt and we all go through losses and we all have pain and we all have challenges, yet if we come together to support one another, we really all turn out much better for it at the end. And it's, it's funny, these numbers, as, as scary as they are, they tend to uh, kind of be the anti-humanizing uh, aspect of it. You just hear numbers, you don't think people and you don't see people. So uh, what, what do you, um, how do you define success in something where the problems are so overwhelming? Do you feel you just take a slice of the pie and do the best you can? So I think that I've been doing this now for 15 years. Yep turns 15 in 2019. And one of the things that I learned a long time ago was that every day we're probably going to encounter some challenges, but we're also going to encounter successes. And that you need to really stop and embrace that and realize that success for one young person or one of their family members does not look the same as it does for any other person. And so to really stop and to honor. And also for those of us doing this work, to, to, to pat ourselves on the back and our colleagues selves on the back and to really say, hey, we did a great job today, or this was something you should be really proud of, or you really made a positive impact in this young person's life. And to really hold on to those small successes, recognizing that we are um, running a marathon, jumping over hurdles, and sometimes blindfolded while we're doing it. But at the end of the day, we're doing really, really good work, and it's important. And so to be kind to one another and to stay the course is something that we, we're here to do, and, and that's why we do what we do. I think you're the person to deliver that message to your 50 employees too there's you can, yeah you can and, I, hear it and it is it's about it's about our staff I have to say I feel so privileged to work with the 50 people that I do who are so passionate and so committed and so caring and who could choose to do so many other things but instead choose that they want to commit their lives to service and to supporting young people and and making the lives of young people in our community better and I'm so proud of not only what I do but what we do and and the folks I work alongside of every single day now Seth you're not an immigration attorney. You're not in the travel business. You're not even in the kind of business where you're a road warrior, uh, you know, always traveling for work. You're an optometrist. I believe you started Miles for Migrants with three other people who you met online on Reddit. Miles for Migrants sounds hugely complicated to administer with international governments, immigration regulations, people who speak multiple languages. Miles for Migrants has 20 volunteer employees. Nobody gets paid. The scope of this operation is frankly mind-boggling. It's hard to conceive of how you could work without a permanent central command. Your position at Miles for Migrants is CEO. Are you the center of the organization? And how does it work day to day? We run our entire organization on Slack. And uh, we try and keep people's personal information in a, an encrypted uh, set of communications, so that that occurs kind of on the side on WhatsApp, 
um, and that's how we roll day to day. So it's 15 people over the, over the course of a day discussing requests that we have gotten, whether those requests are, are complete, whether they have uh, the proper visas to travel, uh, passports, um, whether someone from our partner organization has signed off saying that they have financial need, and then whether we have a pledge of miles that matches that request. Um, and if so, we book the flights and the family gets back together. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it sure is. And the other part is, I think if you're not asking for, I know you do ask for money because you've got travel fees and things like that, but you're asking for something that people kind of forgot they own. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome because um, the background that I take into this is that I have an obsession with points and miles. So uh, I know exactly how much they're worth. And to have other people look at it and go, well, I wasn't going to use this. I'm like, well, you can fly to Europe for free with this. Well, and while that's amazing, them. yeah, <laughs> well, that's amazing. The fact that so many of them look at that and go, yeah, I could fly to Europe for free for this. But I could also reunite an Afghan guy who worked with the U.S. military with his family who have been living in hiding in Afghanistan for the last two years while his family reunion visa application worked its way through the system. It's absurdly rewarding, and I'm, I'm honored that so many other people realize how rewarding it is and are willing to give away their quote-unquote, free European vacation in order to make that happen. Um, give me an example of a, a person, not, not with names or all, but that, you, that you've helped and how it's worked, just the logistics. So uh, we are partnered with a number of different charities, non-governmental organizations throughout the entire world. Um, and those organizations sign collaboration agreements with us, and basically they agree um, that they are going to bring cases to us of people who have been approved for family reunification usually um and so they've brought these to you and then you're vetting them from there or they've already been vetted by the incoming government because they, they've received a um a family reunification visa so the government says they can come they just can't afford to come basically um so a good example of this is we, we are, we're partnered with an organization in jordan that helps syrian refugees um, that have been stuck in Jordan for usually years at this point, considering how long their civil war has gone on. And um, that organization sent us a case last year of a, a man who basically had separated from his family and gone to Sweden and had gotten refugee status in Sweden. And then he applied to have his family join him. And so Sweden said, sure, but... His family aren't technically refugees until they enter Sweden, so they get no financial assistance for this whatsoever. So um, so they come to us and they say, can you fly this family to, to Sweden? And we turn around and we find regular people who have pledged miles to us, and we say, here's, here's what we're going to do with your miles. And they go, great. And then we do it. And, and the cool thing is that in a lot of these cases, we get some sort of story afterward or maybe a picture or... Um, the, in that ca particular case that I'm thinking about, there's this picture of this guy holding his son, um, like holding his son at the, at the airport and his son staring at him like, yeah, I kind of know this guy, <laughs> but he'd, he hadn't seen him since he was two. He's now six. So I don't know. I, I can't really put words to that, but that, that drives me constantly. 
You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Seth Stanton from Miles for Migrants, where they use donated frequent flyer miles to unite families who have been separated by war or persecution, and Melissa Sawyer from Youth Empowerment Project, who foster work and community among underserved young adults in New Orleans. Well, Melissa, I gotta ask you, because it's a business show, uh, uh, the business side of your operation, like you've received, uh, you, for instance, you've received money from a, it's a, it's a large commodities trading firm. Uh, uh-huh, it's called Trafigera. Trafigera. It's based in Geneva, in Switzerland. And like, I mean, that's a big, big deal. How did you do it? How do, uh, yeah, so again, yep, I have to say it, it's been an amazing journey over the past 15 years. And, and we're so fortunate to have received so much support from foundations and individuals and sponsors like WWNO and others who have really you know gotten behind our work and see the value of what we're doing. Um, I guess in 2012, sort of un, unbeknownst to us, we were being vetted by Trafigera and they had flown in from Switzerland, um, also brought the CEO of another organization they fund outside of New York City in Stanford, Connecticut, and they picked us to be their second partner in the United States to implement a Trafigura Work and Learn Center. And so today, that is one of our programs. We provide an array of mentoring, education, enrichment, and then employment readiness services to over 1,200 young people a year. But through our Work and Learn program, we serve about 150 young people, 16 to 24, who are coming to us to improve on their employability skills and then move on into either post secondary or employment opportunities. And you haven't stopped there in terms of money. I'm very impressed you've got a, now you have a thrift shop. Yes. So you have uh, this bike, bike repair center. Yeah, we have three youth-led businesses that fall under Yep Works. So Bike Works, which is a fully operational bicycle shop in Central City on Aretha Castle Haley. Thrift Works, um, which is a thrift store where we accept donations from the public, but people can also come shop. And again, our young people are employed, and some of our young people are just gaining skills there. And then we have a fully operational graphic design studio called Design Works. And our young people are brilliant in that program, so creative, doing real-world projects. Um, doing everything from logos to website design to designing the new logo for the mayor's office of youth and families and so again we're really always looking for folks who want to support our young people and to, to have them engaged in supporting their business. They do good work it's just a absolutely the, yeah and you know most of the, the thing that I think people is going to connect for people is that you had a relationship maybe you still do with the NFL yeah what was that I'm trying to think when I was that when the Super Bowl was here well, so we actually have done a lot of work with the NBA, and so we were brought in by both the Pelicans and the NBA to help facilitate some conversations between law enforcement and young people to try to do community building work. And then we had a wonderful dinner and event at our youth center that involved some former players, um, some current players, some law enforcement, some city leaders, and our young people. And our Design Works kids also designed commitment cards for the NBA that they're actually using on the national level. So we are one of their national community partners um, and that's been a wonderful relationship and then with the NFL um, we actually have a woman on the Saints in their office who's on our board and then we worked really closely with Cam Jordan this past year so our design works team designed his my cleats my cause oh, um, that for several of the deal. games and yeah. they had so much fun and they got to interact with Cam and give feedback and so again that was really exciting for you people be a very large mentor <laughs> I mean in both senses there's yeah, a, and he's just they, a wonderful person <laughs> Now, Seth, um, I've been looking at some of the big successes you've had, and a couple of times it's been there was a professor at Michigan that tweeted about you, and then it got retweeted and such, and then you've been um, 
uh, some television, some radio show, and then all of a sudden there's an avalanche of, of miles coming your way. How do you get more of those opportunities? I wish I knew. I, I still don't really understand how we went viral on Twitter, to be honest. And then for it to go from us seeing like a few donations come rolling in to essentially Twitter vibrating my phone continuously for like <laughs> 72 hours to Telemundo calling and then asking me if I spoke Spanish. And I was like, I speak Spanish, but it's really not great Spanish. And they're like, good, we want to interview you, interview you tomorrow. Oh. I'm like, okay. So. What a challenge for Rosetta Stone. You have yeah, well that one. Yeah, I, I, instant Rosetta Stone. It would make a fortune. Um, no, it's... I really wish that I knew how we went viral and, and what sort of mechanism, but um, the fact that we did and we had all these miles pledged to us has allowed us to go out and make all of these new partnerships and be able to fly so many more people. Um, but before that, that viral moment happened, we were flying about a hundred people a year was was our our pace and now we fly between 65 and 120 people a month Whoa. so it's pretty crazy now melissa and seth this is the part of the show we call the checklist i have a list of 43 random questions in front of me and i'm going to ask you to pick a number and do your best to answer that question so let's see i will start with Melissa, what number do you want? 39. 30, oh my gosh. Well, okay. Uh, Is that a good one? Uh, geez, a lot of people just walk out at this point. But it's, uh, <laughs> the, uh, what was the biggest hurdle you faced when you were starting up your business? Um, there were three of us, and we were really young, and we were really passionate, and we thought we had a good idea to address a social challenge that was devastating and heartbreaking to us, which was losing young people to the cycle of the criminal justice system and violence. Um, but we didn't really know much more beyond that. We didn't know how to build an organization, how to run an organization, how to hire, how to fundraise. And so I think a lot of it was just trusting that if you do good work and are passionate and committed, you're going to figure the rest of it out. And so I have to say that that has been a lot of our journey, having a good idea and just staying really truly committed to our mission and making sure that everything we're doing is is, is investing in the future of our young people in our city. Did the rest of it uh, just come by trial and error, the, the knowledge you've gained in running an organization? Or? So I've all, you know, there's so many amazing mentors in this city and beyond who've been so generous, not just with um, investing in us financially, but with their talent and with their expertise. Our volunteer board of directors has been such a steady in terms of providing us with support but also with guidance and input and um, I don't know it's definitely been a labor of love I think again yep started one year before Katrina so we were right. very very small but when we were able to get over that hurdle and, and be innovative and creative and continue to adapt to the changing landscape uh, I think it gave us a lot of confidence that hey you guys have you're figuring this out like you know what you're doing you're making an impact you can stand behind that and I think ultimately you know the work can speak for itself you know it's kind of funny the natural inclinations to say boy what bad timing you had and such but I bet in some sense it was good timing 
For us, I think that, you know, it, it, when we look at Katrina, it really was the catalyst for growth for us. We were a pre-established organization. We had a lot of relationships with national foundations coming out of the juvenile justice and social justice worlds. And so we were well positioned to expand and to help address some of the emerging social challenges that, that came to this community after, after Katrina. And so I think really after Katrina, we started doing our high school equivalency classes because there weren't enough high schools open for children who were really struggling. We started doing free after-school programs because we were there and we saw kids who wanted to improve their computer literacy skills and have snacks and be around people who cared about them. And so, again, our growth has been responsive to needs, also organic, but timing is everything. And I feel very, very fortunate um, that we started when we did. And, and it's just been, it's been a really a fun journey. And Seth, uh, random number from, from you. Uh, 24. 24. Oh, hey, this was actually pretty good. They, uh, what were your career plans when you were in college? You were, uh, let's see, you came down to Tulane here, right? Yeah, I came down from Pennsylvania to go to Tulane. Um, I thought I was going to cure cancer. Well, sorry. Uh, I, I failed. Out. I'm, I'm sorry, a, world. Um, but yeah, I, I really did. And, and I, I left Tulane with a cell and molecular biology degree. And I Started a PhD program and I I killed several thousand mice in a basement in Evanston, Evanston Illinois, and uh, I have an attorney for those mice and yeah. he's here now and and then I I realized that I wasn't I wasn't doing anything to really help people probably just because I wasn't a good researcher not because cancer research is you know not a uh, worthy thing to do but uh, yeah that's when I went to optometry school of all things after that because I still like the science I just wanted to be able to you know help people with it and it's worked right you have your office down on uh, Carrollton Avenue I, I work at Daughters of Charity I, I love what I do um, Melissa I've got to ask you this. this is kind of a in a way uh, question I guess somebody from the outside would ask is you're from Canada, which I is... I went to Montreal for um, undergrad, McGill to McGill. And again, McGill is just such a vibrant, diverse city that I would, again, recommend anyone travel to. Um, and so I would say, actually, Canada is a very um, welcoming country, and, and we like to refer to it as a mosaic, where we're really welcoming of different cultures and communities and really trying to honor that diversity and really seeing um, diversity as a sense of strength. And I think that a lot of that is, that's how I was raised. I was raised Canadian, and so coming to the United States, I didn't move here until I was 21, really felt like a very different world and a very different context. And I think a lot of what I saw in New Orleans coming here to work in schools was the level of inequity and unequal access to opportunities was something that I personally couldn't turn my back on. So it became more of a calling and a sense of responsibility. Again, I came down here for the first time in 1998. So we had a lot of challenges and there weren't a lot of people down here like we've seen with this new wave of social entrepreneurs and people wanting to come down to New Orleans and um, so being there then I just felt like wow New Orleans needs you these young people have been kind enough to share their lives with you and you now have a responsibility to do what you can to provide support speaking of how awesome Canada is miles from migrants <laughs> miles from migrants just started a program um, that is um, with the government of Canada and a program and a, another charity that's called talent beyond boundaries where they do work visas, but the work visas are only for people who are refugees. And later this week, we are landing the first recipient 
for the Talent Beyond Boundaries Canada program in Toronto. He is a Syrian computer programmer. Wow. And Seth, uh, the polarization of America right now on the issue of immigration, you must get a lot of confusion about what you're actually doing. We do. We do. We just got a nasty comment on our Facebook page about how we're importing illegals. Um, we, we really don't think of ourselves as political. We really don't. We are, we are reuniting families. Everybody that we fly has a right to fly. They have already been granted the right to fly. So we don't find what we do to be political at all. And in fact, among the founders, uh, you can find pretty much all political stripes among the four of us. Um, so it, it, our, our political persuasion doesn't really enter into it, which I know a lot of people would be surprised to hear. Melissa, at the beginning of the show, we we're going over some really horrifying numbers and such. What is the underlying systematic problem that's made NOLA you know, such a difficult place? Yeah, I think I don't think I can answer that. Um, That's why we brought you on. Yeah, because right, I'm the expert. <laughs> so you can point the finger. At no, I think it's so complicated, and I think that we can start here, or we can start there, or it's also easy, and people want quick fixes and they want quick answers, and ideally they want to be able to blame someone, so we can then get to, well, this was not my fault, or I didn't have anything to do with this. This was his fault or their fault, and so I do think that we need to move beyond that and just sort of see where we are, and we. We are in a very, very special city. It's funny, I just got back from New York last week, and when you say you're from New Orleans, people are like, oh my God, like the sort of gravitas of living in a city that population itself is not one of the largest cities in America, but the sort of clout and-, and yeah, Everybody the, likes you. Everyone loves New Orleans. Yeah. And I think that that's something that really sets us apart and is special, but we also need to be really realistic about the challenges that we do face and that it's going to take all of us as New Orleanians who are very proud and very committed to our community to kind of stretch your arm out and and to make sure that too often what we see is sort of a, a narrative of two different communities and two different experiences in terms of the haves and the have-nots, that we have a responsibility to try to ensure that all young people and all families are able to have the kind of life, being with their families, the sorts of education, the sorts of economic opportunities that, quite frankly, all of us want. And I think that being a little more kind, a little more generous, and doing a little bit more to help our neighbors is going to continue on the path to change some of those numbers that really are disheartening. I can't tell you how many times I've said New Orleans is the greatest city to live in, and I'm sure you've said it a bunch too, but it's worth remembering that it's not so great for everybody. There are good, decent, smart, nice people for whom life is tough, for whom circumstances are difficult every day. But change is possible. Melissa, you are making a difference in people's lives every day. Our hope is that the difference you make becomes more and more widespread till it reaches everyone who needs it. Seth, your selfless devotion to the happiness of others is nothing short of an inspiration. It's been truly an honor to meet both of you. Thank you both for everything you're doing, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. It was my pleasure. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Melissa Sawyer, co-founder, executive director, and CEO of Youth Empowerment Project, and Seth Stanton. He's the co-founder and CEO of Miles for Migrants. You can find out more about Youth Empowerment Project and Miles for Migrants by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. 
You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from the show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 